RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 386 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, October 16th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 19th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, we're trekking out a new monster actor joining the cast of Discovery. Alex Kurtzman and Heather Caden drop some more story hints for next season. And William Shatner warps to New Zealand to launch small satellites into space. In gaming news, we'll tell you exactly what it takes to reach Tier 6 in your reputations and how you can be part of the Starfleet Academy yearbook. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. And we're on Instagram. Follow us at Priority One Pod. Now we have to take a quick moment to thank our patrons, the folks that keep this show going from week to week. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to continue to produce the quality content that you've come to expect. Speaking of patrons, we gotta give a shout out to Sam Greenwood for upping their contributions this month. Thank you so very much. Now, Captains, for those of you that may not be aware of what Patreon is, it's a way that you can help financially support Priority One Podcast. This is an endeavor done by volunteers. None of the money that you contribute goes into our pockets. It just goes into developing the show equipment, improving software, making sure we have what we need for convention coverage, etc. Now, there are very many options that you can choose from in supporting Priority One from a dollar and up. For instance, at the $10 level, that's only $10 a month, you can get an entirely separate podcast titled On Screen, where we are now diving into Deep Space Nine and later Short Treks and, of course, Discovery. We'll have special guests and dive deeper into those episodes. This is a completely separate show from what you get on Friday mornings. Now, Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but there are other ways that you can help contribute to Priority One Podcast. For instance, share the show with your friends. When you see it posted on Facebook or Twitter, be sure to retweet and share and let your friends know that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And there's one other way that you can help us out here at Priority One. We are still looking for audio editors to join our team, so if you're interested, just drop us a line. Incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com is the address. Whether you're an experienced editor or if you just want to learn a new skill, we'll train you and give you the software you need. So once again, if you're interested in audio editing for Priority One, just email us incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or check out our website. Speaking of audio editors, we have to give a shout out to two new members of the team, to Rand and James. Welcome aboard and thank you for volunteering your time to help produce this show. Now let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what place is I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Star Trek Discovery's news has been anything but slender, man. And this week was no different. In an interview with horror genre website Bloody Disgusting, Slenderman star and self-proclaimed monster performer Javier Baudet announced he'll be guest starring in at least one episode of Discovery's second season. The 41-year-old Spanish actor told BloodyDisgusting.com, quote, I can tell you I'll be working in Star Trek Discovery in Toronto. It's going to be a very cool role, so I can't wait to see it, end quote. 
Baudet gave a bit more information later, teasing, quote, It's an old creature, but I'm not going to tell you what creature, end quote. Let the conjecture begin. Stay tuned to Priority One for more information. I'm quite excited about this. When they talk about monster performers, they're in in the... Similar to Doug Jones. So you know how Doug Jones is very long and thin, is a very physical actor. That's um, what this man also is known for doing. So he played Slenderman, and um, he's like six foot six and super bendy. It's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to that sort of physical acting, kind of like the way that Doug Jones um, has all those character moments with Saru. As far as the old creature... I mean, it's anybody's guess, but of course, we've already made reference to Telosians. I'm not sure if that quite fits with the description or or what. I don't know. It could very well be from the animated series. The the one... Um, Rx. Three-armed yeah, Eric's. alien. That, yeah. yeah. That would be interesting. You know, speaking of Doug Jones, a lot of people are guessing that he's playing another... Um, Kelpian. Kelpian. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it will be that, because he's teasing that it's an, it's an old creature, but I'm not going to tell you what. I think if he was going to be another Kelpian, there, there's nothing sort of, there's nothing to tease about that. You'd just say, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, Saru's dad or whatever. My guess is that he's going to be playing the red angel that we're seeing uh, that that Burnham is seeing and that Spock is apparently seen. So that's my guess. Well, that brings us to our first community question of conjecture. <whistles> Who or what do you think Javier Baudet will play in his Star Trek Discovery appearance? Last week's New York Comic-Con panel was followed up with several behind-the-scenes reporter roundtables. And while most were simple recaps of the panel's sentiments, executive producers Heather Caden and Alex Kurtzman's interviews made a bit of noise. In one such roundtable posted by YouTuber The Geekiary, Kurtzman gave some more information about Spock in Star Trek Discovery, saying, quote, He's not the character we met on TOS. He's not that person yet. His experience with the signals and the visitation of the Red Angel, his logical brain cannot make sense of those, and he is not emotionally equipped to deal with it. So both logic and emotion have failed Spock, and that's a real big moment for him, his self-actualization, end quote. Later, Caden and Kurtzman were asked about other TOS story threads, specifically Gary Seven. Kurtzman surprised the reporter, saying, quote, We've had many conversations about Gary Seven, end quote. Follow the link in our show notes to check out the interview. So Gary Seven, if I'm not mistaken, is from the episode of Simon Earth, correct? Where they go back in the past and he's like an agent. Yes. Yeah, he's got the cat. Yeah. So that actually, that episode actually was supposed to be a backdoor pilot. Spin-off. Yeah, for a spinoff. Yeah. And I'm wondering if they've had conversations about possibly revisiting that idea and and maybe even trying to develop a show based around the original Assignment Earth idea. Well, the problem with that is that I think they were doing a spinoff much like kind of Mork and Mindy was, right? It, that, Mork and Mindy was a spinoff of uh, Happy Days, but shared no real correlation other than Mork. So I don't know that Gary Seven or Assignment Earth was like ever going to go back into the Star Trek multiverse, right? It was ever going to revisit. I think it was just another show with a handsome agent man and, and his awesome cat that transformed and blah, 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 and be a separate thing. Again, if they're doing that on CBS All Access, I'm not interested. <laughs> Can we go back for a second to uh, the first quote in this story, which is talking about Spock and his experiences with the Red Angel, etc. Uh, so Alex Kurtzman said that logic and emotion have failed Spock, and it's a big moment for him, this self-actualization. Um, I first want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that I, I sometimes hate these interviews where they're sort of talking about something that's going to happen, because actually we don't know what's going to happen in the plot. And then you get something that's slightly out of context that could be taken a number of ways, and you draw conclusions on it that might not be fair. However, I'm going to do that right now. Um, we've seen, so, like, Spock's whole shtick 
outside of being a very skilled uh, science officer and a great sort of uh, person to play off uh, Captain Kirk, he's done this thing of, you know, having to deal with the emotions and the his history and his half-human side. And we, we've kind of seen that. So if that's what they're going to play us with in Discovery Season 2, like, leave it at the door. Like... I hope that's not it. I hope that's not the big thing. I hope that the Red Angel isn't some big revelation for Spock or some big motivation because, like, we've been there, done that. Um, let's do something different and more interesting with Spock. Please. Well, I think, to me, when I when I read this, it was it was more that, like he says, logic and emotion have failed him. So he needs to figure out a different way to explain these experiences that he's having. And the first thing I thought of was if, like you said, they've done this before. But what's interesting is that I feel like there's a long journey of Spock from the cage all the way through to um, Star Trek VI. And that, and one thing he says to Valeris in Star Trek Six is that logic is only the beginning of wisdom. So he's clearly he's clearly come to the realization that that logic is only the beginning of wisdom, and that and that emotion and and other aspects of existence are needed in order to explain certain things. And 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 then if you go back in mo- the motion picture, he is he has decided to to purge all emotion and go for the Kolinar. So, in my mind, this is like the first act of that three-part story of him dealing with, you know, emotions and stuff. And you're right. If they, if they play this off that it's, it's about him trying to, um, like you said, it's about him trying to, like, integrate emotions into himself, that has been done before but I I think it's going to be slightly different and the other thing is that he's not the main character Burnham is the main character so I think the real focus is going to be how Spock's experiences in this story affect Burnham and affect affect her journey the only thing I want to add to this is that um, this red angel you know I, I I don't think that they're using the term angel loosely here um Star Trek throughout its course has done Things to question the concept of faith and divinity. Very much so in Deep Space Nine and very heavily in the seventh season of Deep Space Nine with the, the Pal Wraith versus the, the Prophets and are they wormhole aliens? What are they? Blah, blah, blah. Um, in terms of, of Spock's journey and him fighting you know, his emotions and finding the place of four emotions in himself... Um, it, what if what if he has this spiritual experience? What if he thinks he sees God and he's trying to 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 piece that together in the logical mind because of whatever he's seen, right? Um, you know, one, comparatively, Star Trek Online, you know, the Iconians seem like wizards, mm-hmm. right? But but in reality, their technology is just so far advanced that to our primitive mind, it's like they're just wielding magic swords. And in Deep Space Nine, that happens when um, when Adami is reading from the the book to release the Paw Wraiths, and I'm sitting there going, I don't understand. This is the future. Why are we reading off of tablets? And then I thought to myself, Well, we kind of do that now. <laughs> hey Google. Yeah. Hey Siri. You know, and it's the digital version of that, right? They've just done it in a way that it stores it in rocks. Sorry to everybody. I apologize to Spoiler everybody. Alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I was kind of waiting for it to trigger, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, so perhaps this is this Red Angel is is, uh, is the Federation is Spock all trying to rationalize this being that you know is is seemingly divine in some aspect. Okay, so here's here's my problem, and and I think I our discussion may have actually spurred the reason why I've been feeling a little bit unsettled about Spock being in uh, Discovery. So Spock, like you said, Anthony, has a a really mature sort of um, character arc, starting with the cage and going all the way through to uh, Star Trek VI. Bringing him into Discovery 
keeping in mind that this is at the very beginning of his story compared to him, but it's at the very end of his story compared to us because we've seen everything that came before. In The Cage and then at the very beginning of the original series, Spock was a pretty... I mean, like, he was an interesting character, but he was not a well-developed emotional... Well, not emotional, but he was not a well-developed character. So he was quite sort of monolithic in his personality and his experiences. And so for them to try and do something that's, like, mind-blowing and really mature in his, you know, character moment way now, um, it's that's going to be really difficult to do and make me buy it. Well, the thing is, though, is that, in fact, in the cage and in the first few episodes of the original series, Spock actually shows more emotion than we remember because his character wasn't developed. He smiles. He even smirks when he says, ah, one of your human emotions. And so I think one of two ways they can go is they can either play it straight, which is what I think they're going to do, and they'll make this this fit into the overall arc that we already know um, and again it's it always has to go back to Burnham uh, or they're going to play with the fact that he's a little bit more emotional at the beginning of the original series and maybe this experience causes some of that and then he, he and then he he starts to shift more towards being more logical, and then that would logically lead to what happens in the events of the motion picture. So I think there's some... I, I really like when they go back and they, they tell an interesting story that then gives us new insight into what we've already seen that is in the future of the timeline. A perfect example of that for me is when Sarek had to choose between Spock and Burnham for the for the Science Academy and 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 then we find out his decision and how that affected their relationship for the 10 years that they didn't talk and then for the rest of their lives all the way up until the next generation when Sarek died. So, I think if they do it right, it'll fit in and it'll work well. And I'm I'm interested to see what it's going to be. I am still skeptical. And finally this week, Captain Kirk has landed in Middle Earth. Or, well, William Shatner has landed in New Zealand. The 87-year-old thespian set a course for the South Pacific to help California-based startup Rocket Lab unveil their new facility. According to Rocket Lab CEO Peter Beck, quote, Every detail of the Rocket Lab launch system has been designed to provide small satellites with rapid and reliable access to space, end quote. Using rockets called Electrons, the company launches small satellites into low orbit. Rocket Lab opened their newest facility in Auckland, New Zealand, which is set to rapidly mass-produce the aforementioned Electrons, and Shatner was on hand to tour the facility. In a tweet dated October 12th, Rocket Lab tweeted a picture of the beloved Canadian actor inspecting one of the small Electron rockets. The photo is captioned, quote, Electron just happens to be perfectly Captain Kirk-sized. William Shatner, it was a pleasure to show you our newest facility, end quote. For more on the new facility, check out the show notes. Can I just say I like this company? Because uh, their first commercial launch, which is due uh, next month in November of this year, is uh, has been called It's Business Time, which any of you who are fans of the New Zealand... Um, comedy musical duo Flight of the Concords uh, will will recognize a little fun um, reference there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I like them just for that. That's it for this week in Star Trek news. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. We're ready to dive into our gaming news for this week, and joining us is Fleet Admiral Winters of the Priority One Armada. One of the keystone moments for any Federation captain is their time spent at Starfleet Academy. While your time in the tutorial mission may be short, the memories of those times will be with you forever. Especially in your Starfleet Academy yearbook! From now until midnight on November 6th, you can submit a screenshot of your Age of Discovery character for a chance to be included in an upcoming page of the yearbook. If your screenshot is chosen, you'll earn one of five brand new titles themed around your Academy experience. Check out the show notes for details on how to enter. 
If you've been away from Stowe for a while or are looking to spend all of those new reputation marks you're getting from the random task force operations, there's a new sixth tier of the reputation system, and it may seem a little daunting at first. But Reddit user Thon of Andoria has posted a thread with everything you need to know about tier six. No matter if your character is sponsored in a specific reputation or not, it will take 150 rep XP to complete tier 6. The good news is that once you've completed level 5 in any reputation, it will automatically unlock a sponsorship XP boost for all characters on your account, including the character who completed the level 5 reputation. This means that each daily reputation project you run will gain you 5000 XP instead of the normal 2500. With this, it will take 30 days of running the 20-hour daily reputation project to complete Tier 6. That means you'll need 900 reputation marks, then an additional 5 to claim the project. This will then unlock all of the rewards for that reputation. Now, it is possible to reduce the number of days if you run the reputation project every 20 hours instead of just once per day. And also, you'll need to run the short reputation projects that take only an hour, but they are limited to three a day. Now, when I first logged in to the new update, and I saw that it took another 150 XP to get to level, to get to tier six, I was a little concerned because the first five levels alone are are 100,000 XP. Right. So I was thinking at first that this was going to take forever. And I'm glad, uh, actually, somebody in the Priority One Armada pointed this out to me, that there was this thread going on. And it it made me feel slightly better because 30 days of doing the dailies actually doesn't seem like that much. No, 30 days is uh, pretty okay considering it's uh, 5,000 per day. It's, it's it's really nice that once you get to Tier 5, the reputations are automatically sponsored, not only for the character that just reached Tier 5, but all other characters on your account. That's really, really nice. And actually, getting the marks to get up to this level is is a little bit easier now with the random task force operations. And I'm wondering, have, have either of you had a chance to really dive into that? Oh, hell yeah! I 100% have been able to take advantage of the task force operations. Now, interestingly enough, I just at the time of recording this segment for the show, I was running very outdated gear and still I was able to perform decently in the task force operations. Then today with the upgrade event that had been triggered, I upgraded all my gear, so I'm really looking forward to experiencing these these random task forces uh, with my with my newly newly geared out ship. But to that point, that goes to show that you don't need level 15. All my gear prior to this was level 14 or earlier, so I had not yet upgraded to level 15. And I was still able to perform very well on these advanced task force operations. Advanced, mind you. So now I'm looking forward to really playing the game with my completely maxed out gear on my ships. Whether I fly an escort or a battle cruiser or my command cruiser. So um, since last week, I have played an awful lot of random TFOs or task force operations I'd say over the last seven days I have probably played somewhere in the region of 150 TFOs oh wow yes I am really really liking this new system me too for pop-up to join the TFO was like 30 seconds that's probably the longest I've ever had to wait just to get in there and then for the most part they all went very well, uh, with a few exceptions. Maybe half a dozen Qs or TFOs. Uh, it was either the the rest of the team didn't know how to do them, in which case I had to explain to everybody. It was like, right, guys, everybody stop, and you know I explained everything about it. It was one of the Borg ones, uh, or somebody dropped. Whether it was they got fed up and they left and they took the lever penalty, or they got a DC. I don't know what it was, but. Um, it, it was kind of a domino effect from there. Then somebody else left. So for the most part, it's been very, very good. Uh, like I said, only about a half a dozen that probably, 
you know, uh, weren't successful. Uh, which I think isn't bad, considering I've probably played about 150 of these things over the last seven days. Yo, I played an advanced TFO with the space Borg, where you, it's the Undine, it's the Voth, it's the Borg. Which one is that? Borg disconnected. Oh my goodness. Even prior to upgrading my ship to gold, right, taking advantage of this this, this weekend, we were able to do it without a problem. I have I, I have never done a pu- I've never done a pickup group, a, a pug, and successfully accomplished a PVEQ the way I have done since since the, the, the task force operations random queues have, have done. I mean, I'm just... I, 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 it, this is great. I'm so excited. I'm really thrilled to be back into the game. I mean, guys, you've seen me in the in the Priority One chat. All day. All, all, right? day, all day. All day. <laughs> all day. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on a second. This hasn't changed, right? I'm asking this question. I'm asking that question. I'm confirming this. I'm questioning that because I want to make sure that I'm still playing the game the way it's meant to be played. And the, these random TFLs are just great. I, 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 I can log in. I can play something, blow something up in space, log out, and feel like I accomplished something because of the random incentives. Now, have, have either of you gone the other way and tried to play specific cues to see how fast those fill up? Because the other half of this new system is that people who want to play specific cues should be able to play them quicker because the people who are signing up for the random ones are going to be filled in with the ones that that those people want to play. I I recognize the the statistical math for that, right? Because if somebody wants to play a a, a very specific PVE queue or task force queue, the random generator should in theory push people to that direction but I have not because I don't care what TFOs I play anymore I don't care I I because what ends up happening is that I play the TFO on random sure I get the daily for whatever that random is but I also get the bonus for playing the random which is 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 a very handsome bonus so I don't care. I don't. I, I honestly don't care. I, look, I am behind on Terran. I am behind on Gamma. I am behind on competitive. But I don't care anymore because I know that by playing the random, I'm going to get a handsome reward towards that new reputation. Yeah, f- uh, I think uh, for most of us here, it's probably a big thumbs up. Uh, I know there's still some people that are on the fence. I know Cass from the Priority One Armada is not impressed because uh, the first time she tried the new random TFO system, it put her into the one queue that she absolutely detests. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So she wasn't very impressed with that. Um, is that Bug Hunt? That was Bug Hunt, wasn't it? It was Bug Hunt, actually. Yes, it was. Yeah, but that's that's you can select which one you want to do. Like I have been able to select that I only want space. The random. The random is per space or per ground. No, there's no selection of space or ground. There's only selection of difficulty. That's a filter to show you the, the lists of cues that are available and you are filtering out the ground. That's not connected to the random TFO system. When I hit join random in the PVE task force operations menu, all I see right now, because I, I have filtered for space, are space cues. Yeah. And as a result, whenever I hit join random, all I have ever joined are space. Yeah, but you're, you're still linking the two together. I've watched one of the uh, Wednesday streams, and you're, basically people have been saying, what are we going to do about our specializations? You know, because p- many players specialize specifically for space if they're going to do in space task force operations or specifically for ground if they're going to do ground task force operations and they were like we're probably not going to put in a filter this is what Jeremy said we're not going to put in a filter to go one way or the other but they will most likely end up changing that how or when we can actually select our specialization so I suspect what they're going to do is 
when you're in a mission, you'll be able to switch out your specializations. So, so what you're saying is interesting to me because I, I haven't, I haven't been sent to a ground mission when selecting join random when my filter is is set for space. So future Anthony here, it turns out that after this discussion, we did go into the game and test the random queue system, and it turns out it does not appear to be affected by the filter. So there you go. One thing that I do want to point out about all of this, uh, with in regards to the new uh, uh, task force operations and the random system itself, I foresee a problem arising in the next couple of months, which is going to be a shortage of salvage. And as I'm sure most of you know, salvage is only obtainable through elite TFOs. And the majority of the player base are going to be playing either normal or advanced, because that's all that you can do through the random TFO system. And there is no option to do elite. So because the player base are only playing the first two difficulties and not playing elites, nobody's going to be getting salvage except maybe very, very elite players and organized groups who are doing it. So some people are going to get really, really rich off of this and other people are going to be scrimping and scraping and not being able to play the cues that they want to play. And ultimately, there's going to be a shortage for salvage, and I think they're going to have to do something about that in the not-too-distant future if they haven't thought of it already. There is also plenty of events and promotions for captains this weekend. On PC, captains can buy services from the C-Store for 20% off this weekend, in addition to doubling up on your tech upgrades. Both the services sale and tech upgrade weekend will last until Monday, October 22nd. Captains on both PC and console can take advantage of a 20% off sale until October 22nd. And finally, console captains can now battle the Voth in the Breach event and can earn themselves a bioengineered Ferriadon combat pet! In other words, a dinosaur with freaking laser beams attached to its head. You'll need to collect 14 Voth operative transmissions to complete the event project. However, they have released a new event accelerator bundle for the Breach, which, when purchased for 1,000 Zen, will grant you 10 Voth operative transmissions and an ultimate tech upgrade. Moving on to Priority 1 Armada news, today we wanted to highlight a few members who have gone above and beyond the Call of Duty for the Priority 1 Armada. These members have been unanimously nominated by the senior staff for the Outstanding Service Medal in recognition of their recent real-world money donations to the Armada website and Dilithium donations and Dilithium donations made to each of their home fleets. We all felt that their generous contributions warranted special recognition within the Armada since their efforts have made a huge dent in what we owe for website hosting fees, domain name fees, TeamSpeak hosting fees, and other Armada administrative fees needed to maintain our Armada network. It is my great honor to present the Outstanding Service Medal to Captain Lyra of Priority 1 Gamma Fleet, Vice Admiral Bolts of Priority 1 Alpha Fleet, Vice Admiral Sean Babbitt of Priority 1 Alpha Fleet, Admiral Hunter of Priority 1 Alpha Fleet, Captain Shade Slayer of the Priority One Gamma Fleet, and Captain Turok of the Priority One Gamma Fleet. Congratulations, guys. It is well earned, and uh, thank you so much for your continued support of uh, the Priority One Armada. Speaking of the Priority One Armada, I do want to give a shout out to the team that hosted Anthony and I for the Saturday night Twitch stream. It really was a load of fun. And I really hope that I'll have the opportunity to do it again sometime soon. Oh, indeed. Anytime you want, you can get you guys on the show. And in other Star Trek gaming news, Star Trek Timelines is continuing its Photonic Fantasies mega event with this weekend's What is a Man faction event. The mega event concludes next week, October 25th, with Captain Proton to the Rescue skirmish event. For more details, check out the show notes. 
That's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 385's first community question was... What excited you most about the Discovery Panel at New York Comic Con? The trailer? A particular announcement? Let us know. From Patreon, Shane Hoover writes in, Honestly, I'm most excited by the reality of a new Discovery season coming soon. I do like hearing the perspectives of the crew and cast, particularly their attention and care paid to the fans' opinions of the show. However, I really hope it doesn't cross a line into curtailing the creative freedom of the show in the name of fan service. That would be a shame. This is a really difficult balance, and I won't even get into it because we could do a whole like hour-long show just debating about what that balance should be. Um, and this is one thing that I really, as much as I would love to work on something in Discovery, anything, you know, the, the decisions that the executive producers and the producers have to make about do we satisfy fans, do we take it into a new creative realm, that has got to be one of the hardest decisions to make. And, you know, so Shane says that he doesn't want to curtail the creative freedom. There are a lot of people who would say, take the creative freedom down a notch and bring us back the Star Trek that we love. So, yeah, it's difficult. I can guarantee you nobody goes into it thinking about fan service versus creativity. What happens is they 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 be cre- they're creative, they create it, and then they look at it afterwards and say, "Oh, is this too much this or too little that?" Or you know, I don't know that you can guarantee that because this is a I mean this is a very massive IP. There's no way that they don't go into it without that in mind somehow. Yeah, it's a and and that's the thing. It's a balance. How do you balance those two things off of each other? It's it's tricky. From Facebook, James Maslin writes, "I am very excited about Klingons and I really really hope that they will be a bit more like the Klingons we know and love in season 2. The addition of hair will be a really good start, but some more recognizable culture influences wouldn't be a bad thing. At least they haven't gone down the augment route so far." I'd have hated Discovery Klingons to all be TOS Enterprise-style augment ones. It, it's, I, it is still funny to me how much people care about Klingon hair. It's still, it's still, it cracks me up how much people care. Klingons are, Klingons are very, like, there's a lot of Star Trek fans that identify with Klingons. They have Klingon language camps. They uh pr- produce Klingon opera and plays in Klingon so it does not surprise me at all people criticizing the minutia of of what these characters look like and i think the creators you know Glenn Hattrick and the other Neville makeup Page. artists yeah uh Glenn Hattrick and Neville Page and the other creative makeup Gersha artists Phillips. well she's costuming all of the above. <laughs> um, I think they know this, and so they're taking great care. And granted, they are making a lot of changes, but I feel like they're doing it from a place where they want to add to the texture of the Klingons and not take away from what we've already seen. I wonder how hard or easy it will be to add hair to the Klingons in Star Trek Online. Well, they already have hair in the 25th century. From Facebook, Dave Rutley says, The Discovery Season 2 trailer mentions seven red bursts spread out across more than 30,000 light years. And during the panel, Anson Mount stated, Each step, each time we chase down a signal, there is a step towards truth. In Discovery's time frame of 2256, the Federation is not even 8,000 light years in scope. So I really hope Discovery is not going to gallivant out across the entire galaxy, chasing down each of these red bursts, as that would push the exploration of the Milky Way to the center of the galaxy long before even Q could intervene, as with Picard and the Enterprise D. I, I'm assuming, and this is just because I thought about this too when I saw the trailer, I'm guessing that the Federation isn't the only ones who are who who know about these red bursts. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these red bursts are in Klingon space, and that might be how and why Lorel becomes part of the story in season two. Help me out because I'm forgetting 
I'm clearly I'm forgetting the end of season one. Can, can Discovery still jump? Or are they st- they're still trying to regrow the spores, or they they've they've worn out their whole crop, or Discovery can't jump anymore, can it? It's alluded that they are unable to jump because a they're out of spores, and b because of the damage that it causes to stamets. Okay, yes, I'm, so I'm remembering that more or less correct. So I wonder, you know, because part of the whole thing with Discovery is that it can do these crazy jumps. Um, it'd be kind of a shame if they never did that again. So maybe we'll see a little bit of that maybe towards the end of the season. I'd like to see that anyway. One of my biggest questions is why is Pike taking over the Discovery? And maybe that's the reason. Maybe Discovery is the only ship that can jump around to these different places to investigate this. I mean, they did... Spore a planet. That's right. They re- when they regrew the spores. Episode 385's second community question was, what are your first thoughts about Star Trek Online's Age of Discovery? From Patreon, Shane Hoover writes, Age of Discovery was a great little release for Stowe, I thought. The atmosphere and dialogue of the new disco-fed tutorial was really fun and light. The amazing Mary Wiseman just nailed her lines as Tilly. I can't wait to get her back for more content. I agree. I I really enjoyed it. It was nice. It was easy. I took my time with it, and I I love the overall aesthetic that they're bringing uh, with this expansion. If you if you if you play a Discovery era captain. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Bertolf says, Hey guys, great podcast, as always. Elijah, the bug in your tutorial has definitely come across from the old tutorial, which means it really is a copy-paste. I've had it multiple times, and the only option I've found is to delete the tune and start again. Grumble mumble. So I have, uh, I, I have it on good authority that they believe they have fixed the bug. Unfortunately, I had deleted my tune. Because I was like, well, I guess I can't do anything with it. But yes, I am. I have. I, I have it on good authority that they seem to have tried to fix this. If any, you know, let us know if you're experiencing this bug, and and don't delete your tune. Actually, if you are, if you have been stopped in this in this moment, don't delete your tune, uh, and reach out to us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com, uh, and let us know. From priorityonepodcast.com, Dan Kanescu writes, "Hey, all." I enjoyed the Age of Discovery opening tutorial. I actually like the new HUD and interface as it quite honestly seems more modern than the default 25th century HUD and effects. And I actually L-O-V-E love the new scaling ship idea. I really like the idea of four forward, three aft weapons that early on. And besides the hull and shields, the BOF abilities actually scale as well. At levels 5 through 10, you can only use lieutenant abilities and below. 11 through 20, Lieutenant Commander opens up, and 21 through 30, the Commander Engineering Abilities shows up. But I really like this approach because I'm so sick of starting with that hand-me-down Miranda class. If they made a level-scaling Miranda similar to the Walker for the 25th Century tunes, I would be just as happy. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell writes in, Age of Discovery seems alright so far. The new missions were fine, and the random cues seem to be popping well enough, despite the initial pitchfork-raising response from the internet mobs. The new disco tutorial does feel heavily recycled from the main Fed tutorial, though I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I posit that it was meant for new players brought in by the new show anyways, folks who have had no prior knowledge of the other tutorials. The only peeps potentially bothered by it are us grizzled old alt-grinding vets. Besides, how many ways are there to tell a fresh out of Starfleet Academy grad becoming a starship captain kind of story anyways? I have to agree with Tyler Maxwell on this. I don't think you can really expect the starting tutorial to be that different. It's still got to cover all of those bases of of how to move and how to do all the stuff. So there's going to be an element of having to get through it. Uh, I agree. Uh, you know, the tutorial at its core is just to get players in. Why? Why try to retell that story just because it's Age of Discovery? I mean, my problem with it uh, is that even if it is a copy paste, 
you know, the, the, this is an instance where you want to make that ride as smooth as possible for those potential incoming players. But it looks like uh, Cryptic is on it, so that's great. Well, that wraps up episode 386 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, here's a reminder of our community question this week. Who or what do you think Javier Baudet will play in his Star Trek Discovery appearance? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter or Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks, dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. Still not enough? Well, then be sure to watch for The Cutting Room. Join Priority One audio editor Brandon Parker on Thursday nights at around 6.30 p.m. Eastern and watch as he turns our Tuesday hijinks into Friday gold. That link again is twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. Promotional consideration for this episode has been supplied by BioBidet. Find out more at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash BioBidet. This episode of Priority One Podcast is also brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker and new recruits, James Golding and Rand Hurl. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors, including Title It Thursday and Awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, None of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Sue, no! Engage. separate from the Friday episodes that you download onto your feeds and your phones and stream. Jesus. I, I'm, it's, I'm off my game today, guys. I'm off my game today. It's going to be, it's going to be a, you uh, are off your game. I'm going to make that a new meme though. That you download <laughs> us onto your feeds and your phones and your streams and your game. computers and your Walkmans and your record players. <laughs>
Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com. Facebookpage.com slash Facebook page. It's the first time I think I've screwed that up. So. <laughs> at our Facebook. At our Facebook. However, they have released a new Acceler... Oh, Jesus. I'm giving you the Elijah eye right now. Shut up. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to say something to me, Kenna? It was going to be sarcastic about, yeah. you know, maybe the Federation has gone into administration and they've appointed like a, an administrator in the form of Captain Pike and he's coming to oversee. It was bad. Next and on Star Trek West Wing. <laughs> no, it's more like Star Trek The Office. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> four episodes in, there's another, like, disco in the canteen, right? And then Captain Pike comes in, and he really can dance, but he thinks he can dance. And everyone's scene, like, what? <laughs> that scene when Linus sneezes on him in the in the turbo lift is right out of Star Trek The Office. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. And I bet we'll find out years and years later that, that you know, the actual reason he's in the wheelchair is because he was, like, <laughs> trying <laughs> He's trying to break dance or something at a at an office party. He's, he's trying to impress the Discovery crew. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I don't think the timeline's quite right on that, but I, I want to see that. I want to see. Let me that show series. you something I learned on Talos. <laughs> well, you know they've got they've got five years worth of content to produce. They're trying to like hey, go in different you- directions. They could make a Star Trek sitcom. Why not? When you have a head as big as a Talosian, that's just made for breakdancing. <gasps> Could you imagine the head spins? They have these big gold chains too, don't they? <laughs> it's totally, totally work. I want to see this. This needs to happen. Fan- Somebody make this fan film, please. Oh. Oh my god. Send me a royalty check. <laughs> <laughs> They're one colored tracksuits. Like it just works. It's perfect. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> oh god. Oh my god. Elijah is so embarrassed by us right now. He's, no, me. he's trying to be serious, but he's breaking. You can tell he's I I am going to STLB next year cosplayed and cosplaying as a dance breaking to listen. <laughs> With a boombox. Oh my god, somebody just bidet us in the chat. Carlos Perez just bidet us. Oh wow. Wow. Right here on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm going to bed. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.